the reason uh, I sort of reached out and wanted to talk to you is because, you know, you did a talk today about uh, in-app purchases and how you guys felt that you pulled that off successfully and didn't exploit uh, the user. And the thing that caught my eye at the end that made me want to talk to you, maybe examine that a little bit further, was uh, a line about how you sort of balanced the game before the in-app purchases became like a central mechanic so that anyone that plays it can be a skill-based player that doesn't want to invest in that and they'll have a completely uh, competent, enjoyable experience. So I wanted you to maybe expand on how you sort of arrived at that as the way uh, you implemented in-app purchases in your game. Well, I think it, it comes back, uh, like I've been, been doing traditional game dev for many years, and I worked at Relic when we were working on Company of Heroes Online, and I was the producer on Company of Heroes at the time, and we were working with uh, Shanda, who's a free-to-play company in China, and they had said, you know, all of our games are designed for players with lots of skill, lots of time, or lots of money, and if you have one of those three competencies, then you can you can go ahead and, and have a really good experience. And that kind of laid the foundation for us on Shellraiser. Um, but for me personally to feel good about the game and, and feel good ethically about the game, um, we really focused on skill and time first. And so, you know, it's... We literally, in terms of, like, tuning the values of how many coins you could buy with in-app purchase and what their pricing was, we haven't touched that since the game launched. You know, like, we said, you know what? we think this is a good value you know if somebody needs to just get a little bit of help to level up one character they can spend a dollar if they want to like be insanely overpowered and just like march through the game with like overpowered characters then yeah they can do that too but it's going to cost you know 25 bucks 30 bucks or whatever um and so building just for designing for players with skill and players with time first in a way that a traditional rpg is designed was really the goal for us and that's the day that we figured out that Shellraiser at its core, all the systems were an RPG, was for me as a designer was super easy. Because then it was like, okay, well, I've built RPGs before. I've done this. <laughs> I, you know, I've been through this this cycle. I played RPGs in grade seven. You know, I played Dungeons and Dragons and AD and D. You know, so it's like for me, RPGs are a part of my life, and I you know have multiple shelves full of RPGs at home. So it gave me this foundation that was really familiar and comfortable for me, and we just built in tune to those players, and so. Um, and then at the end we said, okay, we'll add in at purchase. And the, the cool thing was that the reward system of coins, so you use coins to upgrade characters, level them up. You can earn coins by being really skillful, or you can earn coins by grinding through levels and generating money that way to level up your guys. Or you can just buy coins. Having the coins be the, the central system for all that made it really easy for us to you know, turn around and be able to sell that if people wanted to, to get ahead that way. I think, I think it's just it's interesting, uh, and maybe this just speaks to probably the cynical nature of what a lot of people have towards in-app purchases and, and sort of like the free-to-play model is, uh, whereas you guys sort of found uh, elements of your game that you could build on to have those elements in the game as well, uh, I think most people feel like, oh, they all build these games knowing that you're going to engage in that stuff or have to engage in that stuff in order to finish the game or do something along those lines. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's something we absolutely didn't want to do. You know, like we're all... All three of us, we've been in the industry for many years, and we're all traditional uh, AAA devs that kind of went indie. And so for us, it, it didn't feel right to not let the player play our game and, and put barriers in the way of them playing our game and um, inconvenience our player. You know, that's to me, that goes against not just what a game designer is, but any designer, whether you're a graphic designer, a product designer, an engineering designer. Everything you do at every stage should be about making things better for the, the customer, the consumer, the person who's using your product. And as a game designer, designing intentionally to inconvenience, irritate, and 
make your players stop playing the game so that you can monetize that just seems so backwards to me. And I think if I, if I had to go down that path and make those games, that was the only option available to me, I, I think I would have to find another career. Because I don't think I, don't <laughs> think I can wrap my head around doing that because that's to me that's not what games are and you know it's i I play a ton of free-to-play games and most of them i finish within five minutes i'm just like you know what you're already trying to like inconvenience me and get in my way of me enjoying your game and shellraiser we had the exact opposite approach which was like we want the player to enjoy our game we want to get out of their way let them play the game as much as they can and you know if you look at league of legends and world of tanks specifically those are two hugely successful free-to-play games that if you don't want to spend a dime on League of Legends, you can just play and play and play forever, you know, and never have to spend a dime, and you're still earning something. You can still unlock more characters and things like that. So there's still value there, and I think that kind of that moral compass for us was it's it's doable. Now, how how do we do it? Do you do you do you get the sense? You know, you've probably looked at a lot of these different models, the ones that work, that don't work. Do you feel that a lot of them do? that don't work do actually come from like this cynical exploitative place or do you think that has more to do with it's so early days for these business models that you're going to see a lot of bad ones along the way I think it's a bit of both like I think first off a lot of people in these spaces they're they're new companies um a lot of times the executives that are heading them up and their founding members, many of them have never even shipped a game before. So when they're saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to make a free-to-play game, and they start reading up on how to do those things, all that, that's out there for information for the game developers is all the exploitative material. Like, here's how to make an interface loop that the player will accidentally click on purchase, and then we'll still go ahead and spend money on your game because you took them to the buy screen. That is, that, is that stuff actually written down somewhere? Yeah, yeah totally. Oh, that's it's, terrifying. Yeah. See, that just reinforces everyone's like, eh, to this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's out there. And so if, you, if you're looking at that and you say, oh, well, you know, hey, guess what? Zynga put the, the puppy dog eyes and said, oh, you know what? I'm a lost puppy. I need to be rescued. Tell all your friends about rescuing me. And they use that, that guilt mechanism to increase virality in their game. You know, the thing is that that works, and that's why these things are getting read up on. Um, the people that are coming into the, the free space now, um, and the mobile space as well, are focused a lot more on the player having a good experience, and then if they want to have additional, make additional money off of that experience, there's a lot of good ways to do that, but they're focused a lot more on the player. And so it's, I don't think it's... A lot of people that I talk to in free-to-play that are doing startups they don't view it as ethically wrong they just think this is how free-to-play games are made because there's so many materials out there and you know you go to conferences like this and you go to free play conference and social games conference and casual connect and you go to the, these conferences where these companies that are doing extremely well in free-to-play games and casual and social games are using these exploitative tactics and presenting them in a non-exploitive way and saying listen you know we just changed our button from red to green and hid the x in the corner super tiny and, and we made a million more dollars. Well, then everyone thinks that's the right way to do it. You know, where, where I, I come to GDC and I want to learn about making making games. I don't need to learn about making money off the games because I think if you do a really good job of making a game and you build a system that makes sense and has value for the customer, then they're going to reward you. You know, and I, again, League of Legends is such a good example of that where, you know, they come out with a character. Like, their focus is 100% on making really good product. Every single individual character that plays in their game that's their goal, to make it as good as it possibly can be. And if it's really good and it strikes a chord with people, it will sell. You know, a really good friend of mine is a character designer at Riot. And, uh, you know, like, 
terms like whales and exploit, like, it just doesn't come up there. Where if you talk to other people at smaller free-to-play web companies, that's just part of their vernacular and how they talk about game development. What I think comes with this disconnect, I think this is where you see players getting like really upset about it, is like when the free-to-play mechanics or the, the paid mechanics are tied to like core game mechanics. You know, mm-hmm. like it's part of the core gameplay loop. You know, it's it's. I think it's that's the sort of like the feel I get when I ever see a game with energy or the energy bar. Like yeah. it's like it, you know, if I have to go away from your game to come back to play the reason, you know, I'm, I'm sensibly supposed to be playing it, it just leaves me with a weird feeling. And I and I actually wonder sometimes like whether that's just because I've grown up paying a certain price for a game and then I get the game and then that's the end of the transaction. Uh, but I wonder like when you look at in my running theory on that is like I wonder if like you know I'm not a teenager I'm not a kid with an allowance. I wonder if those people find that way more attractive because they can't spend $60 on a game. So even if this game is exploiting them, it's free up front, uh, and that seems way more convenient for for their lifestyles. Yeah, and I think a big part, too, is if you look at a lot, I would say the vast majority of free-to-play games that people recognize as social or mobile free-to-play, they focus on the player with time. And so if you are a player with time or money, you can enjoy most of those games because you have lots of time. So you play for 10 minutes, and you set up your farm, or you feed your characters, or whatever you need to do, and then you go away, and then you come back. Because for you, time is fine, you know? And what they do is they they just build it for time or money. You know, the, the gulf of, of execution, manual execution and skill, in most of those games is very, very minimal. You know, I have a, a five-year-old daughter at home, and she likes some free-to-play games. But when we play them, we'll play them at the same time. So I'll be like, hey, you want to try that one? She's like, okay, and she tries it, and I try it at the same time. We level up at the same progression. So, so the, 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 the ability of skill in the design of this game is irrelevant. They, they fully build on time and money. And, and that's, that's how it works, you know, and that's, that's how they make money. But that's where they, they monetize that. And so that's going to upset people who don't want to exchange their time for money, where they would rather have skill to let them get ahead, you know, where if I could really build an efficient farm... <laughs> and like right. really maximize how I set it up so that you know the cow manure feeds into this, which goes into fertilizer. With if I like, like a traditional strategy game, yeah, exactly, like. or a traditional simulation, right? Because yeah. a lot of them are just simulations, and I love simulation games, but they're so focused on on monetizing and, and designing for in-app purchase that they just kind of ignored skill as a channel that they could focus on. Where you know, if you're again, League of Legends, you're a player with time. You can just grind through and earn points and buy characters. You're a player with skill, you're going to win. So you're going to get more points and you're going to get more characters. And if you're a player with money, you can just buy characters. And so it works out really well, you know. So part of the reason you're here is because it worked out well for you guys. It seemed like you didn't create ire amongst the players. And you also seem to make a decent chunk of change off of it. So, um, you know, now that the game's out, what's been sort of like the big lesson, the big trends that you've noticed in how people use the purchases you had, and what was surprising about about the habits that they sort of adopted? Well, I think I think just the success of it was really a huge surprise um, because, generally speaking, if you follow the stats on the free to play scene, converting one percent is really high. Like one percent is normal, three percent is gigantic, and as a paid app, we had eight percent of our customers doing in app purchase, and so that kind of for one, that was that floored us, and then that the revenue, our thirty percent of our total revenue, um, came from in-app purchase alone. So if we hadn't done that, um, I don't think any of us would be full-time indies right now, or else we'd be doing some maybe some contract work or something like that. Um, so just the success of it was really interesting, and that there was a complete and utter lack of backlash. Like nobody was saying, "Man, you are exploiting us. This game is pay to win," and it's 
it was really surprising because, honestly, I was expecting a lot of backlash from the game. And, and App Store comments are brutal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's, you know, we had way more criticisms, interestingly enough, on our Android version, which is a free game where you play the first 10 levels for free and then you unlock the rest for $3. Way more hate. Like, an infinitely larger amount of hate for the, you can play the first part of the game for free then you have to pay for the rest than we ever did for the coins. Like, there, there was none for the coins in English, but in... That demo download model, man, like, it was brutal. Like, we, we got featured by Google Play, and, like, the the reviews that were getting posted and the support emails that were coming in, like, we really brushed some people in the wrong way. And the cool thing was is that we also got a few emails from people that said, you know what, don't worry about that. I get that you guys have to sell your game. I bought your game. I really love it. Uh, you know, don't worry about the haters. But when you've got, you know, 100 emails coming in a day saying that you you're trying to sell and in the game description too the very first thing is play the first 10 levels for free you know it's not like we're not like pulling the wool over anyone's eyes or anything but it just it really upset a lot of people for, for us was a surprise because that's the traditional business model in, in console on Xbox Live Arcade right. and everything is play the demo if you like it download the full game and pay price for it I've actually heard, like, I've read a little bit of uh, analysis of that that suggests that, you know, there are different types of consumers, and a lot of the consumers are, you know, geared to purchase or not purchase a certain way. App Store customers have been sort of geared or used to paying for things or not paying for things like that. It's, uh, whereas Google stuff, a lot of it is free, so I wonder if the, the, the ire there comes from, Look, all the other stuff I'm getting on here is free. So, who, yeah. why do you think you're allowed to come along here and charge even if it's after ten levels? And that's different. Level, you know, whereas like that's why gamers are so exploitable because we are willing to spend so much money on and a lot of it on, on things we like. Yeah, exactly. And that and that was the exact same thing. I think they feel the same way. Is they're so used to getting, they go to the free app store and they download fully playable free apps, and a lot of them are players with a lot of money or a lot of time, I should say. And so for them, it's not a big deal that there's energy bars and different things like that getting in the way of them playing. And uh, that there was a gigantic troll toll sitting in the world of <laughs> Shellraiser saying, you must pay the toll if you want to pass. Uh, obviously rubbed some people the wrong way. But at the same time, you know, we had really good sales and we did really well. And there were a lot of five-star reviews, too, to go with the one-stars that say, how dare you expect me to pay for your game? So, you know, I, I, I get it. And, uh, you know, who knows where Shellraiser is going to be in a few years? Like, the sales always, like, slowly drip down. We might be a fully free game in a few years. The main reason that we're not fully free right now isn't the revenue, it's uh, the time. Because if you have that many more players, then you're going to have that many more support emails. And uh, especially on iOS where we use CloudSave, um, a lot of people use their, lose their save games. And right. it's just three of us. So we can't have, you know, the lead programmer on our game sending off links to people on how to find their cloud save games for an hour every day or else we'll never get another game done, right? Right. And so, and yet the, the revenue isn't good enough that we can hire a community support guy or a customer support guy to do that full-time or even part-time. So we're kind of between a rock and a hard place on it. But who knows, you know, maybe, maybe in a year or two the whole game's free and, you know, it just keeps on churning churning and going. Because we still make really good money when it's free. It's just the customer support kills right. us. You know? Right. Uh, so because of this, the success uh, of this one and, and what you saw worked and didn't work with the, the in-app purchases, how has that influenced the next game where you can take those lessons right at the beginning of the game design? Well, I, I, our next game actually isn't really built around free-to-play or in-app mm-hmm. purchase at all, and I think a lot of that um, comes down to the type of game it is um, and how we could integrate in-app purchase ethically. Um, 
the game itself, we, ha- we haven't announced anything on it, but it's a very systems-heavy game, mm-hmm. and it's one of those games where if we wanted to go free-to-play, we could do some dirty, nasty <laughs> stuff, you know. But when I look at it as a designer, I don't see any systems where um, if you, like, to build out a balanced ecosystem. So if you're a player with skill, you can get ahead, and if you're a player with time, you can get ahead, or if you're a player with money, you can get ahead. I don't see a way to apply that same kind of methodology to this particular game, but there was a prototype we were working on six months ago where it totally would have worked, you know, and, and we would have just um, probably would have put in a fake playtesting uh, in-app purchase server and do, done a lot more open beta. Uh, we did a lot of playtesting on Shellraiser that was in-person playtesting where we just took our iPads everywhere we went. Like, we go to the bar for the indie meetups in Vancouver and we just whip them out and just, like, let people play the game and watch everyone play. Um, and it really, that's how we tuned and balanced the game was seeing where people were buying, what they were buying, how they were using the money and how they were playing the game just in combat and pacing style. Um, but as a result, we didn't have any feedback on who would use in-app purchase until we launched, and then you know the results floored us. So um, I think we would. The one thing we would change differently if we were going to do in-app purchase again would be to you know figure out some way to do a, a beta with a, a placeholder server just to see you know like how are people going through, what price point are people buying at, and things like that. But honestly, it's it's a very small part of our whole process. Like just especially on the design side, it's, it's so much about playtesting and tuning and making sure everyone's got a good experience. Cool. Well, thank you for your time. Oh, thanks a lot.